You're listening to the Oracle Podcast, where your story matters. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Oracle. Um, today, actually, in this intro, it's me and my older, my dearest brother, uh, Kofi. Uh, Kofi, say hi to the people. Uh, hello, everybody. How you doing? Where are you, Kofi? Uh, what are you doing? Um, and I'm in the country of New Zealand in the city of Palmerston North. Um, I'm actually in class, so we're under full-on quarantine, nationwide quarantine, and so uh, right now we just started school again, and it's all online learning, at least for another week, and then we find out what happens here. So my students are all working on their essays, so I'm just sort of hanging out in case any of them have a question. Yeah. Um, no, thanks for taking time in the middle of your class. Um, I'm sorry to just... Uh, jump on you with this intro, but I just really wanted to uh, chat with you. And I wanted the viewers to hear our little conversation because, man, I don't know, this being on quarantine, I mean, you know, mom is in Ghana, in West Africa right now. And I've just been like really flashbacking in, my, in our life, especially with mom. Flashing back. Flashing, flashing back and uh, um, Mother's Day coming up. And I've just been like remembering the times like when mom was like raising us. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I always had like that. I love like when mom cooked home food, but I don't know yeah. why. I just always was like always jealous of other kids' lunches, and mm. um, or like whatever their dinner was. And so I'd always like try and make requests of mom to make like Western food. Mm-hmm. And it was always kind of like to me, I thought it was so bunk when she tried it, and I was so bad. Like why was I so mess like that, man? I remember she would make like pizza and like she'd whip up some homemade dough or whatever it was mm-hmm. and like put some like tin tomato blended and yeah. then put cheese on it. I was like, man. <laughs> bro, that's why I was, uh, bro, but I feel like you're, you're whack for that because I love that stuff, man. I, well, I uh, guess, yeah, man, I would, yeah, I remember someone she would slice up the little hot dogs or stuff like that and put it on and I remember I would sneak. <laughs> Middle of the night, I would wake up and I would like sneak downstairs. Don't play this to mom, man. <laughs> And I opened up the thing, and I remember I would take, because I used to take pieces and, and eat them in the night, but then i get booked in the morning. So I realized if I took a bunch of pieces and I cut them, you know, put them on a, on a cutting board and cut them, then I could, get, I could get enough slices, but every piece was still there. And then I realized that she, the, I had to wash the cutting board afterwards. Um, and then she noticed that there was a wash cutting board. So then what I had to do is I, I would for some, find some reason to wash the cutting board at night, so it would, she would expect it to be, <laughs> but I had to get sneaky with it. I love yeah. that stuff, man. No, I see. I now hearing you say that, that taught, that shows me the why I got my conniving like food sneaking habits from you. But I, um, yeah, it's true. Oh, we, we, we want to talk about that. I don't know if we want. No, to talk no, we won't that. talk about that story right now. But okay. man, I just, I honestly like, I just really have to give a big shout out to mom as always. But mm. like, um, even though I was such like. I was so appreciative at the time of like her trying to make Western food. I just mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Like as a Ganyan woman, um, immigrant in this country, like she still tried to do that to try to appease me. And I wasn't even taking it. Yeah. And I, to be honest, like thinking about it now, I remember I used to complain about some of that like Ghanaian food, like 
if we had, when I was little, like fufu, I didn't really like it unless it was a very specific soup. Um, some of the things like kinke, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan unless it was like my, the only stews I liked. But now it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I find myself like, man, I wish I had some kinke. I wish I had some fufu. Like, I wish I knew how to make, I wish I knew how to make jollof. I always loved the jollof, but like, I wish I knew how to make it like proper so that I can, because I can make it, but it's like, it's always, it's never quite the same. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember one of my favorite things ever was, uh, mom would make, I don't know if you remember, she would take mashed plantain. Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm going to repeat that for the Caribbeans out there. Plantain. Um, she would mash, <laughs> she would boil it, mash that up, put in some peanut butter, you know, hit, hit a, with a little bit of, a little bit of that pepper. And she would take that and, uh, Boil an egg and put it there. That was like your birthday meal. So for me, I remember, I still remember. It wasn't every birthday, but a couple of my birthdays. I think like when I turned 13, when I turned 16, she came through and she would like sing me happy birthday with the, with the, and she served it out of the, you know, the pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, the, not a bowl, but that black. The black pot. Um, yeah, yeah. The bowl. Yeah, she would serve yeah. it out of that and, uh, and sing happy birthday. Bro, those were like, man, yeah, I miss mom. Yeah, same. No, we and it's like now we're all grown up, and like I think it's like when time slowed down, you just really gives me give me a lot of time just to reflect and really uh, mm-hmm. miss those times where I took things for granted. I think like quarantine has just shown us how much we take things for granted. Um, mm, very yeah, much so. Yeah, yeah, bro. All right, thank you so much uh, for doing this intro with me. Um, I just want to give all you listeners, thank you guys for just listening to our conversation. Um, this episode coming up, we have Pastor Kobe out of Portland, originally Canadian, sharing his story and uh, what it means to move with God and to how to find rest and to pace yourself in your relationship with God. So thank you guys for tuning in. I enjoy this episode of The Oracle and stay blessed. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my, my name is uh, Colby Meyer and I'm, uh, I'm a pastor in Portland, Oregon, uh, originally from British Columbia, Canada. Uh, so I got that Canadian blood. We, we made the move south. So we still, we still Canadian in our roots. And, um, so, and so you actually have a unique church. Um, and uh, can you just yeah. explain a little bit about the origins of that, what you're doing out in Portland? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm pastoring a, a church. Um, it was actually, it's actually not even considered a, you know, in our denomination, it's not even considered a church. We considered a mission. So a mission group, mission group status, uh, which is uh, kind of a very preliminary uh, beginning of what would be a, a church, but we just decided to stay a mission because uh, ultimately we can, we can do more. We believe as a mission rather than as a church. And even how we brand ourselves, we don't brand ourselves as a church. Uh, we brand ourselves as a mission. And, and what's really interesting is that in, in, in the Pacific Northwest, there's a huge, um, there's a lot of antagonism towards uh, Christianity and towards the church. And oftentimes people will label you um, as, as, a, as a right wing or as a Trump supporter if they hear that you're a Christian. So right away they put that, they, that label on you. And so uh, what a lot of churches have done is they've begun to rebrand themselves uh, to kind of not disassociate from that label, but just to kind of get away from it a little bit uh, and start to re- kind of recreate what that what that means to be a Christian here. So we, we're actually a, a mission group um, and it's worked really well for us. So the church's name is Portland uh, City Sanctuary. Uh, so we just call it City Sanctuary. I think the full name is like Portland City Center Sanctuary, something crazy like that. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool place. Downtown Portland. Um, I think it's probably one of our only churches downtown. 
Um, and uh, just, yeah, the innovation uh, in ministry that the team has, uh, we've just invested a lot in our, you know, um, our audio, our, our visual, our, our environment. I mean, we put a lot of effort into creating uh, ministry environments that are, are non-threatening and that are just like suitable to people who are just coming in uh, off the street. You literally, we, we, we meet in a warehouse, right? So that in and of itself is like a non-threatening uh, environment as opposed to a, a Christian church or a stone, a stone brick church. You know what I mean? So people were more likely to walk in, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you've always been driven to uh, have a church like downtown at like the center of the heart of a city. Um, why are you so driven to have churches there? Like, why do you feel like that is an effective place to have, uh, to have a community of believers? Yeah, I think like, I mean, it goes back to, I, I, I think you gotta, you gotta meet people at where people are. Right. Um, you, you gotta meet people uh, on their, on their level and people are in the city, you know, people are, people are downtown. That's where like, that's where all the action's at. That's where all the buzz and the vibe and that's where everything's happening. Right. So I, I, I mean, I really felt called to go to a, a major metropolitan uh, city uh, and do ministry there just because I wanted to, to be with people. I wanted to be around people and I wanted to, uh, you know, just to, uh, and I, I, and I, honestly, I'm, even though I was kind of I'm raised in Canada, I've always considered myself kind of like a city guy. You know, I just, I just like it more. And I like to be around people. I don't like isolation, you know? So that, that's why this whole, this whole quarantine <laughs> business is getting out of hand. Like yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to be around people, man. And yeah. this is like the, this is like hell for extroverts. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so no, we're all, yeah. But I, I, I mean, you know, I live, um, you know, right in the heart of the city. I live at Mount Tabor. So it's not downtown, but it's like, you know, in Southeast Portland and, uh, um, yeah, it's busy all the time. I wake up to traffic every single morning, you mm-hmm. know? So it, it's like, that's, that's the new reality for me. And, but I, I've, you know, it's a blessing. It's a curse, you know, but I, I decided, you know, I want to be around people and I want to minister to people and I want to meet people at where they are. And if everybody's moving to the city, we have to have presence in the cities. We have to have presence in the urban centers of the cities. We have to have presence in, you know, uh, uh, where people are, you know? I agree. No, I think that's huge. And I think there's a necessity for every type of church, but um, there's definitely huge value for having churches in the city because I feel like, um, like you're saying, the church that's kind of in the outskirts or the church that you have to kind of travel out to um, and is distant from the city, um, it seems like to be like a church that's made for believers and the family, families of believers, like people who already been members type thing. Uh, But uh, when you have it in the city, you have to deal with that risk every Sabbath, every time you have service, that someone random might walk in. Right? Yeah. Like it's yeah, possible, yeah. right? And so I think that's like a huge thing. I think that's kind of intimidating. Like, oh, mercy. I can't imagine like different people walking in every Sabbath. I'm not used to that. But I think that's so necessary. Yeah, we get like, I mean, man, you wouldn't believe the type of people that we, that we get. I mean, we used to have, so when we were, we, we moved locations. So we were, um, where we were located downtown two years or a year and a half ago, uh, and that's before I arrived. So I just hear stories and stuff like that. Right. So I arrived there probably about a year ago and the stories that I hear about their previous location and just the types of people, I mean, they were, man, they were, you know, you know, when they talk about like, uh, meeting ministry needs, like meeting the people, the people's needs. Um, uh, I, I just think of city sanctuary when, when they were downtown in their one location there, they had a huge homeless populace that just flocked to them because they were so geared. They were so centered. 
around ministering to homeless people and uh, just, you know, just helping them, you know, the least of these, right? That's what we, you know, the, the gospels talk about the least of these, you know, uh, and Jesus talks about looking out for the least of these. And so they really took it upon them themselves to actually sponsor a low income uh, apartment complex. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that the whole apartment complex, the whole building was designed for low income residents uh, who were either on like disability or they were on like uh, unemployment or something like that. Right. And they sponsored this apartment complex and um, just did everything for it. Like, and the people, the, our, our leadership, they just poured themselves out every single week trying to minister to th- these people living in this apartment complex, downtown Portland. And it's amazing because a lot of those people are now members of our church. Wow. Uh, they come every single week. Like, and actually this, the fact that like this whole, uh, this whole lockdown thing with the virus and all like has really, you know, been hard for them. And, and they've been reaching out to me and they're like, we value that ministry, that church so much. Uh, like we, you know, we can't wait, like we can't wait to, to meet again. And, uh, it's just the impact, you know, you see, uh, in people's lives and just the change that, you know, something like that can, can do for them in the urban core of a city, you know? Uh, yeah. And you see a lot of that. You see a lot of like homeless, homeless, uh, homelessness and a lot of the affordable housing crisis. You see a lot of that take place. The effects of it take place downtown, uh, in the urban centers. You know what I mean? Hmm. So we just have homeless camps for miles and miles and miles all over the city. It's crazy. That changes, that changes, uh, the mindset when the church is in the mission field or like it's the church is where you want to do ministry because, um, I think that changes how you attend church. Like when you go to church, you're not worried about looking nice. You're not worried about right. looking at all this stuff. You're not worried about the program of like who's preaching. You're like, you're walking by the people you want to reach to. As yeah. you enter the building, right? You're seeing people that are struggling. You're not thinking about like how brothers so-and-so or sisters so-and-so are doing this, this. Right? Right. I think it changes you. Wow, that's I never thought about it, how effective that is. Yeah, man. I, I always felt like, you know, at some of these other, some of these other churches um, that were just a little bit more traditional, a little conservative, I never felt, I mean, I can, I can vibe with those things. I can vibe with those environments and those atmospheres where it's more formal. I can wear a suit and tie, but man, that's not me, dude. Like, it's not me. Like, I, I want to be, I just want to be with just the everyday type, you know, uh, the everyday type Joe, like just somebody who, who's down to earth, you know, I don't want to, I mean, I get the sentiment, like put, put on your best for God. Like, you know what I mean? You're, you're going, you're not going to church for others. You're going to church for God. You want to look your best to represent. But like for me, man, I just want, I want people who, I want to minister to people who are far from God, like who don't understand, you know, uh, the ins and outs of, of the Christian faith, who don't understand like what, what is, what does the cross mean? And what is Jesus? I want to minister to people who are far from God. And if I'm going to, I believe if I'm going to do that effectively, like I can't be, wearing a suit and tie while they're wearing jeans with holes you, you understand what i'm saying that's like right, that's right, that's right. I, I want people to feel comfortable when they come to uh to my church like i want people to feel like they're like they belong and part of that is my attire you know what i mean part of that is what i what i wear you know if i look like i'm approachable if i look like i'm i'm, 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 a, I'm a person who lives in the city versus I look like I'm a person who lives on the corporate CEO office of a downtown, you know what I mean? Like somebody who, who's kind of unapproachable in a sense. I want to be somebody who's approachable and just kind of everyday person. So I, I choose to kind of wear something that's very simple and casual. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow, bro. Uh, thank you for telling, telling us a little bit about your church and what you guys do out there. Uh, but Kobe, I want to hear about uh, how you came into ministry. Um, what was it? Where did, where did you start? Um, how did that all start? When did you uh, start investing in your relationship with God? And how did that lead to you being a pastor? Yeah, man, that that journey, it was crazy. I, it, actually, it was 10 years ago, just over just over 10 years ago when I got, I got baptized, got saved, uh, encountered the Lord and gave my life to him. I just can't believe how fast time goes, man. I couldn't believe it's been 10 years. Um, but yeah, I, I was, um, I was, uh, uh, on, uh, on the provincial British Columbia provincial basketball team. So we had, uh, yeah, kind of provinces like state teams and state provinces. Like we had our own basketball team for the entire, like the best players in the, in the province of BC. And, uh, my dream always was to play NCAA Division One basketball, and uh, I had a really uh, significant ankle injury uh, right before one of these major scouting, recruiting uh, tournaments that take that took place in Las Vegas. It was called the main event, and I remember I, I went up and practiced, came down, came down with a rebound, and, and landed on somebody's one of my teammates' uh, 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 ankles, one of their feet. And I kind of rolled, so I rolled my ankle on, on one of their on one of their uh, sneakers on the way down. And I was, uh, I was like really shaking and just like, I was really, I was messed up because I knew that the injury was significant enough that I was going to miss out on the, on the upcoming tournament. And uh, that began a whole process for me of just like kind of reevaluating what my security and what my identity was rooted in. And it really came down. Like at the end of the day, it really came down to identity, you know, identity for me. I, I, I had put everything into ball into being the best basketball player that I could be. And uh, I had all these, these, these college NCAA Division One schools who were, who were um, reaching out to me and interested in me as a player. And I think that when I had that injury, it just made me reevaluate uh, what was I investing in, you know, what was I investing in that, that could not be pulled away from me in a moment, right? That could not be just pulled mm. away from me in just in a, a blink of an eye. Mm. And uh, even though I, I, I recovered from it, I recovered from the injury entirely, but I always – my, my, my orientation, the, the, the posture of my heart, uh, was, was a little bit different. Um, I started to look for, you know, uh, something that was more that my life would be more grounded in. Right. So I started to read the Bible and I remember I read through the entire Bible in like a matter of a few months. And, uh, after I read through the entire Bible in a few months, I just kind of like, I was like, man, this is for real. Like it just convicted me, like everything in the word, it just hit me hard. And uh, I remember from there, I, I kind of uh, started going to church with my grandparents and just started to actually go to church. And, but like actually listen to the sermon, you know, you know what I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're actually listening. Right. And I remember just actually listening and being like, these are words, these words are life. Like these, these are true words. Like these are trustworthy words. It just like spoke to my heart in a way that I had never before. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was all that all took place in my senior year of high school. So I was like 17 years old and uh, then I went on a mission trip to Los Angeles, which was my first, in the, and this was in high school. It was my first taste of ministry. It was my first taste of like ministry expression and uh, getting into a ministry environment. And so I was in LA for uh, two weeks working on Skid Row uh, in Compton and some of the projects in LA, wow. uh, just in a, a surreal surreal experience and um, we stayed at the dream center uh angeline's temple uh, which is a four square i think they're connected to the four square church 
Um, and uh, we had gone, I went with a youth pastor from Kelowna, uh, who was part of a Mennonite church, and he brought this, these group of kids down. So that, that was kind of the team that I went down with to, uh, to do ministry. And, and this youth pastor just continued to speak life into me, just continued to encourage me and say, hey, man, like, have you ever thought about ministry in your future? And he just saw how the passion that I had for serving people and the excitement and the enthusiasm I had for the Lord. And he just said, hey, have you ever thought about, like, you know, becoming a minister? And I said, I mean, full-time minister, not really. But then I began to kind of play around with the idea. And, uh, and then at that point, I was looking also for, for, uh, for schools, like, after, after high school, right? For looking for colleges and universities. And, and I still had these opportunities to go ahead and play um, in the States and play division one. But then I was like, but I kind of wanted to take, you know, uh, study theology. And I also wanted to not play on Sabbath. You know, that was a big thing for me is I actually wanted to keep Sabbath. And I knew that some of these, some of these uh, schools and programs like that wouldn't be possible. Like it's impossible to, to kind of keep Sabbath and play division one basketball. Like, you know, you're playing at a high level, you're competing aggressively every single day. And so I was looking for like alternatives and somebody suggested that there was like a small Adventist school in Lacombe, Alberta, that <laughs> they played ball, they played, they knew how to hoop. And they also played they also kept Sabbath too. So I was like, hey man, that sounds like a good match for me. Um, so then I kind of explored that and talked to coach uh, Peter Ford at the time. And um, man, I just can't believe how long ago that was, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I got I got pulled into to, to theology. And then after that, man, I took one year of theology, studied under Larry Herr, yeah. a great old testament professor. Man, yeah. that was it for me, dude. That guy, he got me so enthusiastic about studying scripture and just gave me a passion, instilled a passion in me for for learning the word of God and just studying the historical context and and cultural and, and textual exegesis and Hebrew and Greek. Man, this guy he fired me up, dude. So I, I was, it was from there on, man, my first year of theology at CUC, uh, now Berman University. Dude, after that, it was all, it was all, it was in the bag, man. I became yeah. a minister of the gospel and that's how I got plugged in. So what do you think, Kobe, that when you were younger, that allowed you to prioritize sports so much? Or like, what is the shift that you had to do, like practically? Because yeah. I think like, um, a lot of people, we have dreams when we're younger. Like you said, you want to go play Div 1. And mm -hmm. uh, like, there's nothing wrong with that it, itself. Like Div 1, not like it's an evil thing. You know, it's not right. like something like that's a sinful thing. And that's what right. we're always scared of. But um, what is it that you had to do? Or why didn't you recognize that that's not something you should have been pursuing, I guess, earlier? Like, what was it that was distracting you maybe at the time? Or uh, what did you have to do to shift your mind? Yeah, I mean... I think, you know, I think of that text, um, and I'm, I can't even remember the, the reference, but uh, I think it was Jesus. I think he said, you know, the things that you formerly, that you formerly love, you now hate, and the things you hate, you now love. Um, and I, I think whatever you, you love doing, like when it came to, when it came to basketball, like I, I had such a passion for it. And if in life, if you can find like the thing that you're passionate about, then it doesn't become work, obviously, right? Like the thing that you're passionate the most about is it just natural. You just breathe it. You just sleep it. You just everything. You just you know everything you do revolves around that thing because it's effortless trying to do it because you love it, right? And I just I I think of 
when I came to, to know Christ and when I came to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus uh, and the work that he's done, for me, I began to love it because I, I didn't understand it before. You know what I mean? Like it, I was seeing, but I wasn't perceiving. I was hearing, but I didn't understand, right? Mm-hmm. And so once the, the gospel finally took root in my heart and in my mind and the spirit began to speak it to me in a way that was fresh and, and that was reviving, it took such a root in my, in my thinking and such a root in my mind that now, like in comparison to that, like in comparison to that hope, that, that eternal glory, like there, there was nothing that could compare to it, not even the love that I had for the sport of the basketball. And at the same time, that love rooted me in eternity. It gave me a grounding. It gave me a foundation that I otherwise couldn't find in the game. Wow. Yeah. And so for me, man, like people always say, man, don't you wonder, like I had a lot of friends that went on to go play in the NBA, play professionally overseas, Turkey, Europe, like all over the world, right? In the NBA, on the Boston Celtics, Lakers, like I've had friends, my teammates, former teammates, right? Go ahead and play. And for me, like people ask me, man, don't you ever wonder what, what could have, what could have been like what you mm. could have, what you could have received, like yeah. things where you could have gone. And I, I always tell them, I say, man, I, I never look at what I had to give up because I only looked at, I could only see what I was gaining. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the, 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 what I received, man, was so much greater than anything I, I could have given up. And when you look ahead and just see what, you know, uh, you know, I think like Paul writes, he says, you know, our, 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 our slight, our, our momentary tribulations, you know, cannot, you know, surpass or cannot outweigh the eternal glory that, that, that sets before us in, in Christ Jesus, like the weight of glory that, you know, is in store for us that we are, we are receiving in Christ. I mean, our light momentary afflictions, like what are those things? Like what are the things that, that keep us up at night? Yeah. Those things are just, but you know, uh, just but momentary, you know, um, burdens, but those things are, are aren't gonna, aren't gonna be forever, you know? So I always, I always kept my mind kind of fixed on the future, fixed on, on what I was receiving. And I never kind of allowed myself to, to get caught up in what I, what I had given up, you know? Wow, that's powerful, bro. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge testimony. I think that speaks wonders because um, I think God, like, in when you pursue a relationship with God, uh, there are sometimes there's things that we have to give up. Yeah, you know, um, I think in our own like maybe our maybe it's emotional, maybe it's tendencies, uh, maybe it's things that hobbies and such. But but it was it wasn't that like I want I wanted to. <clears throat> Like, you know what I mean? Like, I actually, I actually had this, like, like I wanted to give it up, like, because I, I, I didn't, for me, it wasn't like I, 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 something that was like, it was optional. For me, it was like something I had to give up to pursue what I felt like I had to pursue. Like, mm-hmm. I, I actually felt like when, when I, when I, when I started ministry, I felt such a calling towards it that I felt like if I turned my back on it, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I, I felt like I, I was like, it was like a, 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 I was compelled to do it, but it yeah. was out of love. It was out of like this, this devotion, this passion that had arisen within me. So it, yeah, it's just. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I feel like a lot of us, we don't actually find that drive to do things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's something that we need to look for. Like, what is that thing that's driving us? Like, what is it uh, like that's pushing us? It's like in our body that we have to do it. Not and exactly like you said, not out of fear, but out of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, that actually brings me to where I want to talk to you about next, which is you in your in your relationship with God and what you've learned is uh, being aware of His presence. And in yeah. fact, you kind of wrote about that in your post about uh, the COVID nineteen. Uh, and I thought that was interesting how it tied to what we were going to talk about. So, uh, could you just unpack that a little bit more? What does it mean to be aware of uh, God's presence in your life? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been. I've been really processing lately, and it's also something that I think in in the Western world, um, especially in, in, after you know in industrialism, what we talk about Western industrialism and just like the, the productivity and the performance and the the hurry and the the restlessness that we see in the Western world um, is like it's like un, unprecedented in our in our in this Earth's history. Really, it is. Uh, when when Thomas Edison when the when the light bulb came into into existence it changed the world for everybody because it all became about productivity performance and literally just a more uh, a more, more higher quota of of just bricks like you gotta just produce more have more do more right and what I think this has really done for us and for the Western church is that we we've now we've struggled to we, we've been moving so fast that we've struggled to slow down we've struggled to to become aware of the presence of god wow because i like this is the thing i, I don't think that we we often we often assume that like when we don't feel god's presence that that's an indicator that he's absent from us but i would actually argue that when we don't feel god's presence it's not an indicator that he's absent from us. It's an indicator that we are hurrying, we are rushing, we are running through this world too fast wow. to recognize his nearness, to recognize his closeness. And it's about having a consciousness, having this awareness, this innate awareness of the presence of God. But in order to have that consciousness, that awareness, what needs to take place is we need to slow down. Hmm. You know, We need to take like a few steps back and just kind of so that we can contemplate his presence, his being, his spirit uh, in our midst. And um, there was this, uh, this, this Japanese theologian that, that talked about how the pace of God is three miles per hour. And I, I, I thought about that a lot and how that kind of relates to, to, uh, to our lack of feeling God's presence, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at, Jesus and you look at the life of, of the, the early uh, Christian disciples and the apostles, um, their life, the pace of life was a lot slower. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a lot. Um, they weren't, they weren't on airplanes. They weren't on, on, uh, in, in, uh, in Corvettes or Lambos, you know, they weren't racing around. Like they were just, the pace of life was so much slower that they could encounter. I feel like they could encounter God's spirit with such much more, uh, with more, um, uh, just eagerness and just more, uh, they can anticipate it better and then they can just feel it and sense it and be more aware of it better. Um, and so what I've really tr been trying to do is, is root myself like every morning, like you heard me, I had the, I had the hymns on today when we, when yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we started this podcast, like I try <laughs> to root myself every morning in Christian uh, meditation and, you know, read through the Psalms, like meditate on the Psalms. David says, I meditate upon that law day and night, you know, and, um, just meditation, slowing down, trying to find rhythms of rest and work. So it's not about productivity and performance and 
more quotas to meet, but it's actually that we can actually sit down and slow down and, uh, and learn to be more aware, more still and rest in God and just understand. And actually that's funny because this whole, like the whole COVID-19 thing, I think it's really been pushing people for once in their life to slow down. <laughs> like we, we can't do life as we are used to do in the Western world. Like we, we've been forced in one sense to actually stay home, to actually, you know, work from home, to actually, you know, be still to actually, you know what I mean? So it's like, we, we've, we've kind of been forced in this place where into this place of solitude and isolation where we've actually been forced to uh, forfeit the distractions mm. and focus on his presence. That's crazy that you said that because um, I was listening to Rob Bell yesterday. Actually, just yesterday, I was walking and listening to him. And he discussed that, how um, this, uh, the disease has caused a great like disruption <clears throat> and led to a lot of uh, fear and angst and a lot of worry and people just trying to figure out what to do. And he talks about how God created ways for us to try to slow down. So yeah. for example, like the Sabbath every week, right? He created a day for us to just slow down, not to necessarily stop, but to slow down and recognize him. Um, he created the year of Jubilee, where after seven years, right, they had something that they could free, reevaluate, stop, stop whatever they're doing. And he's like, uh, not saying that God is doing this, but it's just that this is now a time where we have to slow down, like you're saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. what are we doing with it? Um, but my question is, like, what did you, what, what did, when did you realize that this is something that um, we lack? Because I think it's hard to not be busy with life. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's really hard, like, when I have deadlines, when I have to be at work at a certain time, and right after work, I got to go do this, 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 and that before I get to bed. Um, while um, this show is happening, or I have to go to this appointment, like everything's happening so quick, how can I not be busy? Like, right, or is like, you know, how can I slow down? Yeah. What did you, how did you, how did you recognize that? Man, that's a, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, two things. I think, I think, well, for me, it was, I went through a mental breakdown, mental, like total mental burnout. And for me, that was like, okay, what I'm doing isn't working. Um, I was the first guy in the gym, the last guy to leave every time. And that didn't stop when I, when I became a pastor. Um, actually, I took, it more, I took it more seriously to work harder than everybody else and to do more and to, and to, uh, to, go, to, to go for longer hours and put in more work and to read more and to do more sermon prep. And like, I, I, pushed, I pushed myself to a point. And, and honestly, like, I was taking like, when I was, doing, when I was at Andrews, finishing up my, my undergrad in theology, I, I, I was taking like nearly 20 credits and playing, working two jobs, uh, trying to pay off, pay off debt, pastoring a church, um, playing on the basketball team uh, under scholarship. I was trying to do so much. And it was probably like, I was, I was like only 23, you know, when I had a burnout and I, I was, you know, isn't that crazy? 23 man and I just I had a total like just mental emotional just burnout and I realized man this is not the, this is not the way and in that moment I was like more than ever all like all I could ask for is the peace of God you know is is the rest that God brings 
And when, when, I, when I view Sabbath, when I understand Sabbath, it's a receiving from God, not a doing for God. Like the Sabbath is the grace of God that we receive. We receive and trust in his rest. We receive and trust in his grace and his provision. And we take that time, that solace in, in, in time and space to contemplate uh, his work in the absence of ours. And that he is still at work when we're, when we're even uh, dormant, when we're just, you know, taking it easy. It's, it's really a, a declaration of trust and, 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 and hope in what God is accomplishing, even as we remain still. And I think that's so cool. And so for me, like, this is the whole thing, like Sabbath has become like a symbol really for me of my need to be still with God, of my need to, to rest and trust in him to take care of my body, to take care of my, my, my mind and, and to see it as almost a form of resistance of this ways way of doing life, almost as a form of a protest against the hurry of Western individualism, of, of Western industrialism, of consumerism and capitalism. Like Sabbath becomes that for me. It's, it's a protest and it's a way of saying enough is enough. I'm drawing a line in the sand where society says more, 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 more quotas, more bricks to meet, more, more things to do. Sabbath becomes a line in the sand that says enough is enough. Wow. And I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, hurry is the greatest enemy of spirituality. And I think that that is so true because when I'm rushing, when I'm going, when I'm jumping from, from task to task, from responsibility to responsibility, I cannot fathom. I cannot interact or engage with God's spirit because I, I need to be still in order to fathom his presence in order to, to realize his spirit with me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a word. Um, Kobe, just in closing. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, we struggle with hurry. Um, we struggle with trying to make time to slow down because we feel like we have so many responsibilities and so much demand since like it, society has changed that and made us in like so much like seeking so much uh, uh, things to do and mm -hmm. to take up our time but if there's somebody listening right now who's struggling uh, just to be still uh, who's struggling to slow down and struggling giving up hurry uh, what would you say to them man I think I would say it's non-negotiable. Like, I would say force yourself to find rhythms of rest in your life. So if you're not Sabbathing, start to start to Sabbath. It's not it's not a legalist thing. It's not a thing that you're trying to you're trying to earn or merit your salvation. It's a gift from God. And just take one day of the week, turn off your phone. I, I honestly that's probably that's probably what I would say. I would just say turn off your devices. Like start there, you know shut off your phone, power it off, you know, shut off your computer, just, just find stillness, just find quietness, turn off the noise, turn off your, off your, your AirPods, turn, just turn everything off, all electronics, all digital activity, and just see this one day, just get out into nature, just get out, you know, just read a book, right? Uh, just, just start to find ways, find postures of slowness, of stillness. And eventually you'll find that you can actually rewire and retrain your brain. You know, my brain is like next thing, next thing, next thing. But I think if you implement some of these strategies in your life, in your daily routine, I think that you'll be able to build up capacity for, for rest, the capacity for, 
for doing less so that ultimately you can be way more.